Welcome back to A People's Guide to Publishing. I'm Joe Beal, the founder and CEO of Microcosm Publishing and Distribution. I'm also the author of A People's Guide to Publishing, which distills what I've learned from selling millions of books over the past 25 years. I'm Ellie Blue. I'm the Editorial and Marketing Director here at Microcosm. We are an independent midlist publisher based in Portland, Oregon. We have 14 employees, over 650 titles in print with 20 to 40 new books per year, and we distribute thousands of titles from other publishers. We started this podcast so that we can share what we've learned with newer publishers so that you can learn from our mistakes. Or maybe you just want to understand the publishing industry. This week, we are going to discuss how to know if a book is successful, or rather, to the point, how to know if a book is going to be successful. Should we introduce our guest today? And we have a new host. Um, oh yeah, sorry, not a guest at all. Bernard the Third. Good job, Bernie. Fairly new to this world. Good podcasting. It's not really a talker, unfortunately. For Maybe fortunately. Our podcast guests. <laughs> Anyway, sorry, we had a topic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How do you know if a book is going to be successful or not and before th- you publish it? I think in their first edition of the People's Guide, there was like a 21-point program that was basically like how you know which books are going to be successful or not. But you've simplified that formula. Dramatically. When, are you ready for some math? Because this is kind of the constant thing that... Or the constant question I am faced with where, you know, people think, you know, in the record industry, it's called having golden ears where you can like detect money because, um, you can hear it. And that's like what the A&R people do is they, they're like figuring out what's going to be hip. But in publishing books, I would say it's much, much easier is the good thing. Cause it's, there's just not as many factors and, you know, and I guess there's, you could have it. You could set yourself up for a shorter term window or not, but in general, like the rules still apply whether you're dealing in like current events, trends, or not. You know, it's just you'll see a longer tail on something that is evergreen. So, what are the factors that you think most people use to choose what books to publish? How much they like it, um, mm-hmm. how it fits into their publishing program, like how much guilt they have about not publishing this kind of book or this kind of author. Oh. You know. uh, Or like they're excited about the author. Yeah, yeah. But I would say like all of those are sort of secondary, you know, and um, I've seen it more and more on the Twitter that um, you're not publishing an author, you're publishing a book. And I, so which is like forever the thing that I bring people back to, or at least attempt to. (laughs) (laughs) because so often people are like inundating me with like oh would you be interested in publishing this author and I'm like well I mean what's the book because that matters a lot more right we have worked with people based on their authorial status before and the books have not sold that well because because if someone is selling on their authorial status I guess if Danielle Steele came to us with a book that would probably sell pretty well well but it's the same thing like there would be a reason if she had a solid property she would have better opportunities and avenues than us 
Unless yeah. she, what if she wanted to like pivot to writing like small how-to books about specific topics like home burial? I feel like, come on, Danielle, bring it to us. Then her, <laughs> as you'll see in the formula, it would collapse because then your authorial status is no longer of value. All right, I think it is time to bust out the formula. And the formula is... Dun, dun, dun. Get out your pens and papers and... Ready to math. Smartphones and dumb phones. You start with demand, like how many people... Well, I guess just, let's start with the entire formula, then we'll unpack and explain the formula. Demand divided by supply times credibility times access. Mm, equals basically yes or no. But, well, it equals how many you're going to sell. Uh, oh, got it. You know, like that. It's, it is truly that magical. So, One formula to rule them all. <laughs> so let's get down into it. What do you mean by demand? Demand is how many people are reading a book or subject or category, you know, so like there's more people reading self-help books voraciously just like you know there's more people but whereas there's like fewer people reading books about photography ferociously you know and then so there are like a lot of people reading fiction and memoirs but we don't publish fiction and memoirs for the most part which brings us to supply. Are you... Oh, I see you are getting ahead of ourselves. Oh, sorry. Are we still on demand? <laughs> <laughs> so this is why you divide by supply. So what happens um, every year or so, we get pitched another book about how to make kombucha or how to make smoothies or, you know, things like that. And if you research books about making kombucha or books about making smoothies, you will find that not only are there literally thousands of them in print there are you can find them at every price point you can find the like $40 book about that's like a hardcover oversized coffee table book about making kombucha and you can find the 99 cents ebook about how to make kombucha and literally everywhere in between so you know when there's that many it's you're massively shrinking that amount of demand because you're saying, you know, by looking at the number of books in print, the supply, you can, and a good way to judge the demand is to look at the ranking of a category on Amazon. You know, mm -hmm. that's like, a, that's a layperson model, you know, like a more advanced publisher version would be to like look up, you know, categories in Nielsen book scan or whatever it's called today. So, and, you know, it's, which is like basically tells you like how it tells you generally materially how many books uh, or how many copies a book has sold in the trade. So your ideal scenario for this part of the formula is to find a book that there's high demand for, but not a lot of other books out there on that. I mean, that would be an ideal book to publish, yes, because there's a lot of people that want it and there's not a lot of people offering it. But then we have our other criteria. But you can even, ha it can be okay if you have a lot of people offering it, but there's that much demand for it. See again, self-help. That's true. <laughs> Lots of people writing self-help books. A lot of failed self-help books, but yet a lot of people reading self-help books. So, you know, so, and then you multiply this times 
credibility, which is some things like authorial platform. This is things like how well you, the publisher, are known for publishing in the subject. You know, and it's like, if you're new to it, that can be okay. That's not like time zero equals zero. That's more along the lines of like, okay, like you're not getting a real ramping boost because you just don't have a lot of credibility yet, you know? So it's like if every book you've ever published is, you know, a romance novel and your 18th book is like a spaghetti Western, you don't really have a lot of credibility as a spaghetti Western publisher. You know, it's fairly adjacent though, so you can take that little hop, skip, and a jump. But if you started publishing like books about like the biological habitat of the possum, oh yeah, people are going to be like, "What do you possibly know about that? Like, you aren't even a believable source." You know, you don't, and you. So, but the reason that credibility matters more than anything is it basically means you have none of the relationships necessary to launch something into. A successful stratosphere right like you don't know anyone in the press you don't know like the people that would buzz about your book you don't know the people that would write you blurbs you don't know the stores that would sell it you just don't know the blogs you you probably don't even know how to develop it you're bit yeah exactly and that's and oh, you're always oh, getting ahead of me here there you go so basically you don't know the kind of language to use or avoid to make that book successful right because you don't know what they look you're, you're just at an extreme disadvantage of like how to develop it what to design the cover like what words to put in the subtitle or not you know how to make it like sort of blend in on the shelf. So, um, and then what's the final criteria that you multiply by? Access. access. So access is, you know, a really good way to think about access is to swap it out for the word distribution. Right. But distribution is not everything. And that's kind of why it comes last. So your credibility matters more because if your book is in every bookstore in the world, they're just all going to be returned if you don't have the book developed correctly or you don't have proper respectability in that category. Like, you're going to fail. So distribution, though, it doesn't have to be bookstores. It could be, you know, like one of the examples, which is based on a real person and a real book and a real example in the first edition of People's Guide, is the person that writes the repair manual for espresso makers. Oh, yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. And so, obviously, that book very well could be for sale in bookstores. It could sell very well in bookstores. But access, in this case, matters much more to people that own commercial espresso machines. <laughs> you know, it's like not a mass market book. And similarly, you know, you have um, things like you know, academic works, um, books that really sell best to libraries, you know, it really comes down to like, are you going to be competing against a much, much bigger fish for that space, for those opportunities, you know? Right. And if you are, you really have to be a shelf buster that makes every other book obsolete if you're going to be successful. And so that is, in short, how you know how many copies of your book you're going to sell. Can we go through that formula for um, 
our bestseller and fuck your brain like because how did how did you know that we this was going to be a, a best-selling book mm, excellent question eleanor so the the demand is immense the people that read so unfuck your brain for those unfamiliar is a book about how trauma governs all aspects of the brain's decision making mechanism so how it like sets you up for very you know being angry and how it sets you up for you know just not making like careful decisive you know decisions in your life so there's a lot of supply there's a lot of demand so we divide that lots of demand by lots of supply and you know we're still doing pretty okay like this wouldn't be an ideal scenario but we take that and we multiply that by her credibility which is immense she's um been a practicing trauma therapist for couples for decades you know she's well respected in her field she's getting you know new accreditations all the time every time i talk to her she has more letters after her name the letters after her name are longer in fact than her name <laughs> which she has a phd it doesn't hurt in this case and yeah and that's the real thing here is her credibility you know people that read self-help books about the brain and about you know brain science is really what she's offering that the other books aren't she's really distilling some very complicated ideas from very inaccessible books and making them into very simple language yeah that's true like a lot of the most readable books out there are by people without credentials who have a lot of lived experience but aren't professionals in the field and you know for one reason or another real or imagined a lot of people will not read books on this shelf that do not come from a person you know they they need a phd after their author's name to find the book credible you know so that was kind of an essential bit here for her success and you know and she has access you know to her obviously she knows people people know who she is and you know we hadn't had a lot of success with books like this in the past but that didn't really matter because this was such a strong case you know and you know you can't really plan for things like this but it was also incredibly well timed you know that was just our utter dumb luck you know that the world was about to discover the horrors of um donald trump and have some feelings and trauma related to that so there she was ready to offer solutions you know mm-hmm. and um we did have the last point tremendous amounts of access you know we had ability to reach thousands of retailers you know we have a sales force books like this do very well in just about any kind of retailer um certain types of like neighborhood independent bookstores squirm a little bit at the use of the f word but that was essential to her ability to speak authentically and honestly and clearly to her audience so we couldn't really take that away you know like and we we are you know i guess we'll see the interesting experiment is unfolding presently where we publish befriend your brain which is the middle reader variant of no swears and you know like this is something that people have asked us to do for five years i mean it, it's it's not gonna sell 10 percent of what unfuck your brain i mean unfuck your brain across all formats has sold millions 
just right. that book alone, you know? So, like, if we're really lucky, this book will sell, like, 15,000 in paper and, you know, maybe, I don't know, 300,000 in audio. Right. But it's not likely. I mean, yeah. it's much more likely that it will do less than that. As most books do. <laughs> and it will, sell, you know, it'll maybe sell, you know, five to 10,000 ebooks, you know, like, realistically. But then again, you know, unless libraries really become a major backer of it, you know, there's always surprises. It's just not... So you're saying the F word is an important part of the formula for determining how many copies... Yeah, so this is kind of... I'm trying to address the many points that people bring to me where they're like, you know, they're normally like, there's so many self-help books, how did you know this would be successful? And I was like, well, because she has the credentials, the book is actually distinct, and it's not just rewriting the other books on the shelf... And we had the ability to bring it to market with, and she has credibility. And uh, it was like before the F word became saturated. Yes, yes, um, yeah. Which uh, fatigue around the use <laughs> of this in book titles has hit, but we aren't really seeing it because we were a progenitor. Mm -hmm. And you know that and that's sort of her brand also you know if we had every author had that in their title i don't think we had to put it in the title because she uses it so much that we were like yeah. people just have to know right away yeah. to walk away if they don't want that yeah <laughs> but it ended up working in our favor and you know and it is funny because still there's lots of people that are like this book is has full of swear words and you're like did you read the cover <laughs> right i suppose you missed the detail <laughs> but, but so that is more or less you know, and so I know I do feel like this is often the book I pick on, but like that we published a book, Amika's World, um, with, you know, Jane Goodall, with the first Jane Goodall fellow and how he adopted a large, um, Maria, a flightless bird from South America that really only exists in our continent for meat. And he rescued it and it lives with his family. And, you know, this is a book that's like made of gold, except we have no credibility in the sphere so we are not that's not the kind of book that people look to us for we aren't a nature publisher and so we didn't know all the basic things like why this wouldn't work like right. like anybody that sells books about birds does not want any books about birds outside of their native habitat you know right and so they only will there's so much we didn't know and there's so many things like that that you couldn't know if you were outside of it you know whereas like mental health was something where I was quite a bit more knowledgeable to create better decisions around it, you know, so, so, you know, even though there's a fair amount of demand, you know, it's also like Jane Goodall has lots of books. There's not a tremendous amount of supply of books about, you know, like flightless birds or there's a lot of books about birds broadly, but not books about birds quite like this but that ended up being you know often it's for a reason a reason that we know now and did not know then we learned that one the expensive way so that's kind of two ab's and you know most books we don't need to aim for really high or really low we just need them to aim in the typical range of book sales you know like the average book sells two thousand copies in its lifetime we aim a little bit higher than that but that's okay, you know? Like, we don't need every book to sell millions. We need every book to sell thousands. So it's really the only problem when they don't. 
So let's reiterate that formula one last time before we close. Demand divided by supply times credibility times access equals books sold. Thanks for joining us once again. Please send your questions to podcast at microcosmpublishing.com so we can answer them on future episodes. And please give us five stars on iTunes and everywhere else that podcasts are reviewed. You can find us on the internet at microcosm.pub. On Twitter at microcosm. On Facebook at microcosm publishing. On Instagram at microcosm underscore pub. And here in Portland, Oregon on North Williams Avenue. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful week.